Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the second hour of the program. The phone number, you want to be on the show? 877-973-7425. Uh, I got to finish the thought from, from the first hour. I left y'all hanging. I did I had bad clock management there. So Amir Khatri is the writer at Showbiz News who wrote up the story about the guy on the Southwest plane who will pleasure himself four times. And the bad thing is, if you try to Google the mugshot for Antonio Sherrod McGarity, the guy who actually did the problem, uh, <laughs> the guy from Showbiz News comes up and his, his picture looks like a mugshot, so you think it's him. Poor guy. I just, my goodness, the things people, you know. So I've been flying since I was five years old. When I was 11, my plane crashed. Um, so seven forty-seven. Uh, I shouldn't say we crashed. We just landed with no wheels on a foam runway. I was by myself on the plane. I've been flying for a long time, and I have seen some stuff on planes. Oh yes, I have. But I ain't never seen that, and I, it, it's apparently more common these days. And and I, I mean, th there's some wackadoo things people will do on airplanes. Um, and and you know the international flights are terrible when you're you're traveling abroad and people are stressed out and. And the, the smokers can't smoke on planes. When I was a kid, they could. They sat in the back of the plane and they smoked and it stunk all over the place. But um, gosh, crazy things happen on planes these days. All right, we got to move on. Uh, you know what? I want to go on and take Dan's phone call. Dan's been waiting patiently here about the Senate races, which I'm going to get into here shortly. So, Dan, welcome. How are you? Uh, great. Uh, thanks for having me, Eric. And uh, I was listening to the show yesterday, and you were talking about the Senate races. And I just wanted to bring up that as a person in Georgia, and I apologize to your national listeners that this might not be as interesting, but um, I see Kemp uh, ads. I see Purdue ads, ridiculous Trump Purdue ads. But I don't see any Herschel Walker ads. I see no requests for money for Herschel Walker. I see none of those things. What's going on with that? So, um, the Walker campaign, well, okay, uh, Dan, here, here's the problem. By the way, there's an Emerson College poll that's just come out uh, in the last few minutes that it's got Herschel Walker 49, Raphael Warnock at 45. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, so I watch uh, a lot of sports on my TV on Sundays with the ESPN streaming app, and... Um, I see Raphael Warnock ads, and they're all about jobs and sticking up for small businesses in Georgia and going after uh, high gas prices and, and oil companies and the like. I was talking to a friend of mine who's black, uh, uh, and when he watches streaming sports, you know what he sees? Civil rights ads from Raphael Warnock, how he's, he's fighting to, to expand the franchise and support black voters. Completely different stuff. Same programming, uh, different ads. I'm really fascinated by all of this. Uh, so I was talking to a senior, how should I describe them? Senators and staff, senior people. And um, they are not confident on Walker in the general. They're, they think he can win. They think he can win. They just think that Arizona, Nevada, New Hampshire will be an easier path forward for the GOP uh, than, than Georgia. Um, the problem with Walker is he his team keeps him very guarded. There's not a lot of faith from these guys I've talked to in Washington about his team, not the outside groups, his team specifically. 
and they're concerned that uh, by keeping him as guarded as he is now, it's not going to work on the campaign trail of the general because there is a media bias towards the Democrats. The press and the Democrats are going to pull out the stops, and Walker has a lot of baggage, and as much as the GOP intends to play up some of Warnock's baggage, uh, Warnock has an ad strategy that is uh, deeply comprehensive across the board. Now, the reality here to the specific point is with Herschel Walker, there's no reason for him to spend any money on ads right now. If I were him, I'd be spending money attacking uh, Raphael Warnock, but Walker doesn't need to sell himself. He's got 90% name ID, and in the worst-case scenario polling, he's got about 60% poll. Um, That's good. He's probably going to be the nominee. Maybe someone can get him into a runoff and and use the Apple research against him, but I think they should have spent twice as much and started three months ago to be able to do it. Walker's got baggage. The Democrats will, will go after him and these Republicans in Washington, and I'm talking to the who's who in Washington. I'm not talking to the run-of-the-mill people who don't know what they're talking about. They are concerned about Walker's prospects in a general election when you've got all eyes on him and the Senate Democrats must keep Georgia. They don't dispute he can win. They just don't know why they're going to spend so much money in Georgia when they've got better prospects in Arizona, Nevada, and New Hampshire. That's the problem. Um, now, there are uh, larger issues at play for the GOP as well. In fact, let, let, let's shake this up. I'll, I'll get into the other stuff uh, later, but let, let's focus on this right now with these uh, situations. Arizona, Mark Kelly, the Democrat, is starting to distance himself from Joe Biden. That's a kind of telling situation uh, right now. Mark Kelly is the the astronaut uh, Democrat uh, who's in the United States Senate. He is running to finish off a term, and he has been a reliable vote for the Democrats. Reliable vote for the Democrats. And suddenly, he's starting to distance himself from Joe Biden. Uh, Title 42 is one of the big issues. Title 42 is a really big issue for the Democrats. Title 42 is that provision that is keeping uh, illegal immigrants out of the United States because of COVID. Uh, Jeff Zentz uh, is is the COVID czar for uh, Joe Biden right now. Here's what he has to say. Thank you, as always, for doing the briefing. Uh, I want to ask about COVID funding. Um, Republicans are trying to insert an amendment into the COVID deal to reinstate Title 42. There are even some Democrats, such as Arizona Senator Mark Kelly, who've said that they're open to considering such an amendment. Is the administration concerned that the decision to lift Title 42 could now threaten COVID funding? Thanks for the question. Title 42 is a public health authority, and therefore it's always been a decision made by uh, the scientists and public health experts at the CDC, and it's based on the public health conditions, and it should remain independent of the urgently needed funding that we talked about today to sustain our COVID response here domestically and our global response. So this should not be included on any funding bill. Uh, The decision should be made by CDC, uh, which it has been, and that's where it belongs. He wants to make it the CDC. They're they're hiding behind the CDC. That's fine. Uh, Hide behind the CDC all you want. 
The problem is uh, you're hiding behind an organization that keeps changing its mind and seems to be politically motivated more often than not, and that's not necessarily the way forward. Uh, and this issue is going to consume the Democrats. This issue is going to destroy them uh, in the polling. In fact, uh, where is this story? I had this here. Yes, Politico. This is the headline from Politico today. Terrible messaging on lifting of Trump-era border restrictions alarms Democrats. One top Democratic consultant says it's not the policy they're scared of, it's the ads. Republicans across the country spent millions of dollars on ads painting President Joe Biden and the party as supporters of open borders, responsible for sowing chaos at the U.S. southern border, and that was before the administration announced its plan to end the rule in late May. In March alone, GOP candidates in races up and down the ballot ran more than 80 television ads from Alabama to Nebraska to Ohio that mentioned securing the border. The people at the head of the Democratic Party don't have a desire to speak about immigration, and when they do, don't know how to speak about it effectively and simply don't have an effective rebuff to what Republicans are attacking us on, said Sawyer Hackett, executive director of former Democratic presidential campaign Julian Castro's PAC People First Future. Our message has been terrible, and now we're talking about a potential surge in a midterm year where they're going to be attacked by Republicans and Democrats. It doesn't make political sense. Do you, do you hear that? Do you hear it? You cannot hear it. It's Peter Meinhof. The message, our messaging is terrible. That's what he says. That's what he says. The Democratic Party doesn't know how to speak about it effectively or simply. It's the message. When you're complaining about the message, you know you've got problems. It's bad. Bad for the Democrats bad. Some Democrats have said nothing at all. Now listen to this key paragraph here in Politico reporting today. While progressives have largely called the rescission of Title 42, which allows border agents to quickly kick out thousands of migrants long overdue, moderates have slammed the administration for proceeding without a plan to handle an expected surge of migrants. The four most vulnerable Senate Democrats, uh, Mark Kelly of Arizona, Raphael Warnock of Georgia, Catherine Cortez Masto of Nevada, and Maggie Hassan of New Hampshire, have all spoken out against the Biden administration's move. Other Democrats have said nothing at all. This is the wrong way to do this, and it will leave the administration unprepared for a surge, Cortez Masto says in a statement to Politico. Notice how they include Raphael Warnock, who's not one of the moderates. Raphael Warnock is one of the most progressive members of the Senate, but they include him there among these other people, none of whom are really that moderate. They know there's a problem with the border. They can't figure it out. Mark Kelly saying it's the wrong decision, publicly breaking with the President of the United States. The Democrats have a problem. By the way, uh, Chuck Schumer says it's long overdue for Title 42 to end. It's a public health regulation that should never have been used as a border enforcement policy. Does Chuck Schumer want the Democrats to lose in November? I mean, you're looking at Republicans. Uh, ranking Republicans in the United States Senate are telling me privately that uh, they're concerned about Herschel Walker in the general election in Georgia because of his baggage. 
and thus far his team's inability to uh, deal with it. And you've got Chuck Schumer out there saying, we got to get rid of Title 42. We should have never implemented it in the first place. And Raphael Warnock is screaming about it. Raphael Warnock knows he's got a problem. You have a massive wave coming for the Republicans right now. And regardless of flawed candidates like Herschel Walker, he will be the next United States senator in Georgia because of this situation. How bad at being Senate Majority Leader is Chuck Schumer? This is going to devastate the Democrats, the images coming across the border. Most Americans get their news from ABC, CBS, and NBC, and every single one of those networks has covered the border surge in the last year. They can't avoid the subject. Fox goes wall to wall with it. And among cable news providers, uh, Fox has more viewers than CNN and MSNBC combined at this point, and not all of them are Republican or conservative. This is a terrible issue for the Democrats, and it's one where Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden are like, let's get rid of it. Bring the illegals. Bring the illegals across the border. If I were one of these Democrats up for re-election this year in the Senate, I would be furious with the Senate Majority Leader. And by the way, I think they probably are, and we're going to start hearing about it soon. Uh, the Democrats have all sorts of problems, and uh, flawed candidates on the right can still get elected. Remember, 1980, the wave against the Democrats and Jimmy Carter was so bad, a number of people got elected to the U.S. Senate, and they are historically referred to as the accidental senators. Ronald Reagan's coattails were so big and Jimmy Carter so unpopular, these people got elected to the U.S. Senate, served one term, and were thrown out of office. But they were still there for six years because Jimmy Carter was so unpopular. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I'm going to go take William's phone call. William, how are you? Good. How are you? Good. What's going on? I'm just curious about your opinion of this uh, abortion bill that passed out in Colorado. If I'm reading it correctly, um, it's pretty vague, but that an individual, not a woman, can abort a child at any point in time for any reason in any way that they want. Yes. I mean, is that ac that's accurate? Yes. Yep. Um, so then my so question is, is I've, I've been a, not a pessimist, but is this the point of no return for, I mean, our country? I mean, this is insane. It is insane, um, and, and never underestimate God's ability to judge uh, these people going forward. Colorado, California, mm -hmm. um, what is the other state? There's uh, there's a, a Maryland, Maryland, California, Maryland, and Colorado have just passed abortion on demand legislation enshrining the right to an abortion in state laws. Uh, they anticipate the Supreme Court getting rid of Roe versus Wade. My suspicion is that the Supreme Court is going to allow a 15-week abortion ban. I'm not willing yet. I, I, I'll believe it when I say it, see it that they get rid of Roe. They should. Roe was terribly decided. Uh, whether you like Roe or not, uh, you don't have to believe me. Believe Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself was a vocal critic of the reasoning of Roe versus Wade. And so California, Colorado, Maryland are enshrining the right to an abortion. Some of them are very extreme. The California law reads that a uh, pregnancy can be terminated until the child is out of the birth canal, essentially. Uh, so as long as you still got the kid's foot in, in the uter in the birth canal, uh, you can abort the child even if the rest of the child is out, if you take a literal reading of the statute. 
Uh, the Maryland law, if you read it, uh, seems to suggest it, it is for all the, this talk about conservatives writing poorly these uh, parental rights and education laws. The Maryland abortion law is so poorly written, it suggests you can still kill the kill kid until the moment it leaves the hospital for the first time. What they're doing is they are reacting to the potential of the Supreme Court to rein in Roe versus Wade. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Oklahoma has passed a law largely outlawing abortion. And several other states have now passed laws that uh, enshrine a 15-week abortion ban into the law. And I suspect we're going to see this great divide. We're, we're, look, we've got uh, half the states now have uh, constitutional carry. You're going to see a big divide on guns. You're going to see a big divide on, on abortion. You're going to see a big divide on religion. Yeah, I think we're starting to watch the country crack up in real time. I do. Uh, now, I say all of that uh, not because I think it's it's totally going to happen. I do think that uh, we are all together uh, better off together. What I think the big concern here, though, is that these progressive states always try to punish conservative states and use corporations to, to do the punishment for being pro-life or, or for religious freedom or for pro-gun or the like. And we got to all figure out how to survive together in this nation with federalism, allowing states to disagree with each other. And if we can't, well, then I think we're our, our days as a, as a United States is probably coming to an end. And I hope we don't get that way. Crisis has a way of bringing us together. I'm afraid we're headed there, which is what I was going to talk about at the beginning of the show. And we're about to talk about it when we come back. Hello there. It is me. I'm glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, Susan, I'm going to go to you next. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I'm just wondering, I, I remember in the 80s when interest rates were around 20% and people thought it was the second coming when they went down to 10%. And you, I, I'm just worried that... Um, interest rates for for a home um, because the Fed is jacking up everything else, you know, credit cards and all that, um, is, is going to go so high. We're going to be back in that predicament again. And basically, Joe Biden is going to be the new Jimmy Carter. What do you think? Wouldn't surprise me. Um, so where we are right now, mortgage rates. So we need to, to difference between the, the Federal Reserve rate and the, um, the the Fed rate versus everything else. Um, the Federal Reserve uh, rate is, um, where is it? it, it it's it's uh, 0.5%. Yeah, 0.5%. It, it had been a quarter point. Um, interest rates are now, in some cases, up five to 5%. They had gone down as low as 3% in some cases or lower. They're starting to go back up in anticipation of inflation. The Federal Reserve says it's going to raise rates maybe four or five times this year and then into next year. So we're probably going to see the Federal Fed rate go up to about 3%. Now, for a long time, uh, the Fed rate had been around 4% in the 90s and the 2000s until we got into 2008 or so and we had the financial meltdown and they started lowering the rate. Uh, we're probably going to see the rate not go up to 10 or 20%, uh, but probably go up to 4 or 5%. And you will probably see interest rates uh, generally hover then around 5 or 6%. 
It'll become more expensive. It will probably cause a, a crash in the housing bubble. And all of these things are playing out and intersecting together in very uncertain times. We should talk about uncertainty. Um, we should. Because things are getting more uncertain. Uh, the world is getting more dangerous. Uh, Mark Miley, the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he gets a lot wrong. He gets some stuff right. I think he's probably right about this because this is kind of the duh moment. Uh, but this is him and his testimony to Congress. The top American general today presented Congress with a wider, more troubling context. He calls the Russian invasion of Ukraine the, quote, greatest threat to peace and security in Europe and perhaps the world in more than four decades. The Joint Chiefs Chairman with this prediction for where this leaves the world. We are now facing two global powers, China and Russia, each with significant military capabilities, both who intend to fundamentally change the rules-based current global order. We are entering a world that is becoming more unstable and the potential for significant international conflict between great powers is increasing, not decreasing. There are hegemons in the world. A hegemon is, is the dominant power. The, and when you have a hegemon in charge, that's actually the most stable time. When you have one single superpower, that tends to be the most stable time on a planet. You can have two hegemons uh, rivaling each other. And we had this in the Cold War, and that's also a fairly stable period of time. The danger is when you have multiple superpowers or multiple powers trying to be the hegemon, it begins to collapse the, um, the world order and destabilize it. And right now we have the United States, Russia, Europe, China, India, Iran, a lot of people lining up. For 200 years, from roughly 27 BC to 180 AD, there was the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was about a 200-year period, beginning with Caesar Augustus and ending with Marcus Aurelius, where the world saw peace. It's not that there wasn't war. It's that the wars were small. There was not global war. And Rome stretched from basically England to Egypt. You could travel from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to Jerusalem by land if you wanted or by sea and not have to worry, typically. Now, that's not to say there wasn't crime, there wasn't piracy, but by and large, there wasn't warfare. You could go from London, which existed, to Cairo and you would be under the control of Rome. There would be peace in their times. And it helped. It, it was a, a tremendous advance. And again, it's not that there wasn't war. There was war at times. 
but largely uh, that war uh, was confined to the periphery of the empire as they were settling in, putting into place, and, and dominating positions. And so it brought, a, at the time, a global peace. And during that global peace, there was a revolution in industry. The Romans invented concrete. In fact, Roman concrete is still to this day better than the concrete we use now. During the collapse of the Roman Empire in the Dark Ages, we lost the recipe. Scientists are, are discovering it again. One of the interesting aspects of Roman concrete is that it continues to get hard when wet underwater. Uh, the Romans could build harbors with a concrete that continued to harden even after it was submerged. Uh, it's unheard of. And it had a lot to do with the composition of the volcanic ash they were doing for what scientists can tell. The Romans built roads that are still used in Europe. You may have heard of this. But the rocket technology that we use today was influenced by the Romans. The our the the, the uh, booster rockets for the space shuttle and the the size of the Saturn V rocket were because of the Roman Empire. Why? Because the Roman legions paved Western Europe. They built roads that are still used today. And for a thousand years, chariots became uniform in their width. And the chariot width set the standard gauge for a railroad. And the standard gauge for the railroad was adopted into the United States, which was then used to build tunnels for railroads. And the space shuttle parts and the Saturn V rocket parts could be no wider than the tunnel. Therefore, they were bound by the width of the railroad gauge, which was bound by the Roman Empire's chariot gauge. The Roman Empire was deeply influential and remains deeply influential. Roman, you can still, I have done so. You can walk or drive upon Roman roads in Europe. All roads lead to Rome. There are still aqueducts built by the Romans that are in use in Europe, flowing fresh water. The Romans figured a lot of things out, and they could do so because they weren't worried about war. They got to worry about prosperity, and in worrying about the prosperity, they got to worrying about how they could do certain things in arts and leisure and industry in engineering. A lot of engineering, we think, comes from war, but a lot of engineering comes from peace. There are lots of people, and I think it's actually a very credible argument, uh, who argue that up until the moment of the Pax Romana, there's no way that Jesus Christ could be born in Bethlehem. Because had you been born in Bethlehem a uh, hundred years before or a thousand years after, you would have come into a world that was deeply divided and constantly at war. It would have been very, very hard to get your message out. But being born at the height of the Pax Romana after Caesar Augustus has established the Roman Empire, uh, allowed the apostles to then grow and travel across Roman roads unimpeded except by Roman persecution to be able to spread the gospel message across the empire. It would not have been possible prior to the advent, uh, advent of the Roman Empire. 
prior to the advent of the Roman Empire, while the Roman Republic was there, you had uh, the the Greeks, you had the various forces in Europe, you had the Persians, you had the, the various Ptolemaic dynasties of Egypt falling out. Everybody was at war with each other. There was no peace and trade was very limited until the Romans began to consolidate power. The moment they've secured the entire uh, Western world, along comes Jesus and the message of the gospel can flow. And then it can transcend as the world begins to break down again. The world is now beginning to break down again. There's a lot of profound uncertainty. And it comes in economic turmoil as well, as it always does. And people always forget economic turmoil often brings this stuff as well. NATO allies are enforcing ways to expand support for Ukraine. They need tanks. We have to be realistic and realize that this may last for a long time, for many months, for even years. And that's the reason why we need also to be prepared for the long haul, both when it comes to supporting Ukraine, sustaining sanctions, and strengthening our own defenses, says NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg. NATO ministers who will be joined by counterparts from Pacific partner nations will address Ukraine's military needs uh, tomorrow. The Biden administration is going to ban new U.S. investment in Russia through an executive order. They're going to sanction more oligarchs. They're going to go after the biggest banks now that they had not previously gone after. They're going to extradite an embassy guard in Berlin accused of spying for Russia. They're even targeting Vladimir Putin's daughters now. Meanwhile, Germany is going to have to come to terms with its energy future. This is from Ambrose Evans Pritchard in the Telegraph, UK Telegraph. A total energy embargo against Russia is now unstoppable, whatever Germany thinks. The dam has broken after the Bucha massacre. European public opinion will not tolerate the continued funding of Vladimir Putin's war machine with purchases of oil, gas, coal, nor will German public opinion. An energy embargo has become unstoppable as systemic atrocities across civilians comes to light. The West's phony war against Russia is giving way to a harsher phase, entailing real sacrifices and necessary risks. And even now, France's president has said it's time to stop Russian coal and oil. Meanwhile, China's ambitions are growing. They're trying to connect more with and build alliances with Russia and get Russian oil piped into China so that the Chinese are not dependent on Middle Eastern territories, which have been flirting with China but are still at heart very pro-America. While all of this is happening, Pakistan's prime minister has suspended their parliament. Pakistan's prime minister is a former cricket player who was very popular. His name's Imran Khan, and he's turned against the United States and the West. He's embraced the Taliban, China, and Russia, and now accuses the Russians of engaged in a plot, or the the Americans of engaged in a plot to overthrow his regime, and he's asking for assistance from China and pledging his loyalty to Russia, shaking up the Middle East, entangling himself with the Taliban. There's a global realignment afoot, and the Biden administration, frankly, is flubbing it in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, all of which are very pro-America and have been for a very long time, are starting to toy with the idea of coming to ally with China because the Biden administration drips with disdain when dealing with them. The Biden administration is trying to cut a deal with Iran that will destabilize the Middle East. These countries know it. The world is unraveling before our eyes. 
and Joe Biden is too clueless to figure out what to do to stop it. His military leaders are warning about a period of instability, and the Biden budget proposal is to cut the military. We got real problems afoot. Instability is coming. The peace of our times is being undone, and the Biden administration is too asleep at the switch to figure it out. But there's a caveat here for you. You can't control these things. They are out of your hand. Worry about what you can control. You can't control this. There's plenty of stuff for you to worry about. And even then, worrying's a sin. Leave it to God. Don't worry about it. There's nothing you can do about it anyway, except go vote and vote this November for sure. One of the companies that's trying to do something about all these things and, and, and change the world around us for the better is Patriot Mobile. They are explicitly Christian and conservative. They set themselves up as a company that will take a portion of their profits and dedicate it to the conservative movement. And you can help them by being a customer. You don't have to worry about the service because they use the same cell towers everybody else uses. You get uh, you, you, you get amazing rates. You get amazing service, 5G, data, voice, you name it. You can get a new cell phone. If your cell phone's unlocked, you can carry it over. You can even port over your existing phone number. All you do is go to patriotmobile.com today, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. E-R-I-C-K, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You get free activation with my name. You get great discounts. And if you want to call them, they have 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT. 972-PATRIOT. Tell them Eric sent you. You get free activation. You get unbelievable benefits. And, and importantly, a portion of the profits that you help them generate goes to the causes you care about, the pro-life cause, the Second Amendment cause, veterans, first responders, the conservative movement, PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Man, you think American politics has problems? Uh, the Israelis are on the verge of another election as the Israeli prime minister loses his uh, support and coalition in parliament. And guess who's making a comeback? Netanyahu. Uh, polls by Israel's Channel 13 put Netanyahu on the verge of this comeback. Likud party has a record 38 seats, and the right-wing bloc supporting his candidacy is at 60 seats, one seat shy of a majority. Wow. Um, I mean, they've had election after, like, every... It, it's it's like the Groundhog Day now. Um, every every six months, you got a new election. You turn around, and, and it's election day again. You just can't get out of election day. Goodness gracious. Um, all right, uh, we got more stuff happening out there, and, and I've shaken stuff up. And when we come back, uh, we got to spend some time now on the blame game. I talked about the messaging earlier. Oh, the blame game is starting to happen with the Democrats. But before we get into that, you know, crime is still an issue. There was a mass shooting in Sacramento. Six people were killed. It turns out now that it was not an unprovoked mass shooting, they believe, but two rival gangs shooting at each other. Uh, one of the men arrested as a shooter is, is Smiley Allen Martin. Had a criminal record stretching to 2013, and last year was the subject of a plea deal by Sacramento County District Attorney Anne-Marie Schubert's office that he not win early release from prison where he was serving a 10-year sentence for domestic violence and assault with great bodily injury, despite a two-page letter to the Board of Pardon and Paroles urging that Martin remain in custody. He won release and was in Sacramento Saturday night recording himself on Facebook Live 
brandishing a handgun hours before the shooting. On Tuesday, Sacramento police arrested him at a hospital after he was injured in the shooting. His brother, Dondre Martin, 426, was arrested Monday as the first person taken into custody. That's right. Uh, the DA's office vehemently opposed Smiley Martin getting out of prison. But the uh, Board of Pardon Paroles in California let him out anyway. Boards of pardon and paroles are going to become the new thing to be investigated. You know, here in Georgia, where I am, they let the world's most prolific uh, collector of child pornography out of a thousand-year prison sentence after just six years. Man roams the streets of Atlanta today uh, after a six-year sentence, and he was actually sentenced to, to a thousand years in prison. Boards of pardon and paroles need to be investigated. They need to be investigated. But in California, of course, the progressive politicians don't care. They're okay with this. It's 2022. Things are still crazy. Things haven't settled down. And now you got the Federal Reserve and interest rates. You got the economy. You got inflation. A lot of banks won't even return your phone call. Let's say you're a small business and you need a loan for $750,000 or higher. You see an opportunity where banks, they don't even want to see you. You want to buy a building. You want to build a building. Reach out to the Frost family at First Liberty Building and Loan. They've been helping small businesses become big businesses since the 1990s. They want to help you if they can. So spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a good fit for them and they're a good fit for you. Their website is firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. Again, you need a loan, $750,000 or higher. You're a small business and you see an opportunity to grow. Share it with the Frost family and see if they can help you. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. First Liberty Building and Loan can help businesses nationwide become bigger businesses.